What's up and welcome back to the TCP Podcast. This is Tyler Clark with TC Performance, and I greatly appreciate you guys for listening. Before I get into the actual show in this official intro, I do want to get some housekeeping things out of the way, though. So if you're listening to this on Apple, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, um, Stitcher, whatever it may be, please do me a huge favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. And if you have the time, energy, write a review, and also hit that subscribe button. All those things do wonders for the the show, for myself. I'm able to get a little bit more exposure. It might put me on a list um, as far as whenever you look up performance or basketball or sports, my podcast might be a little bit further in that ranking. So my overall goal is to get some exposure because I feel like I'll bring a lot of good things to the table that a lot of people should hear and it may help them. So if you want to do me a favor, go ahead, rate five stars, subscribe, comment, review, share, all that good stuff. It, it really helps out in the long run. So with that out of the way, uh, let's get right into this intro. So for episode three, I'm extremely excited to announce that I was able to get my guy Coleman Ayers on a call. Coleman Ayers of By Any Means Basketball. If you guys don't know who he is, please go check him out on Instagram under By Any Means Basketball. Um, Coleman is a super cool dude. I'm very fortunate to be able to call him a friend. He's super intelligent, down to earth. Um, and just a little bit about him. As I mentioned, he is the founder and owner of By Any Means Basketball. That is his brand. That is his business. Um, he started that years back and he's been able to really create something incredible. He's, he's in my opinion, the pioneer and the um, forefront of performance and basketball meshing the two. And I say that because he's so innovative He's so creative and he's able to apply research at such a high clip that you really can't argue with what he's saying. So anybody out there who is on the fence about meshing the two performance in basketball, I would highly recommend going to check him out. Um, he has a gym out in Miami Lakes, Miami, Florida, Detail Miami. Uh, he just recently opened that up. He's doing a lot of really great stuff out there. And he's also the co-founder and co-owner of Mastery Hoops. And what they've done with Mastery Hoops is really great. They have a big platform that basically separates into coaches and players. So they have modules for coaches. They have modules for players. They have in-season stuff, out-of-season stuff regarding training on court, performance training in the weight room, um, anything about nutrition. They have blog recommendations, research articles with a click. Um, podcast recommendations, book rec recommendations, all this incredible stuff that's really at your fingertips, about $30 a month. Highly, highly recommend it. I'm on it personally. Um, but that's just a little bit about Coleman. Like I said, that's more of the business side. Uh, he's a really cool dude, um, super down to earth, and he's got a lot of other stuff in the works. So please go give him a follow at By Any Means Basketball. Like I said, I'm super excited that I was able to get a mind like his on this podcast. Him and I chopped it up and talked about a lot of a lot of important things. So get your notepads out, get your notes out on your phone, whatever it is, get ready to take some notes. Um, because there's gonna be a lot of takeaways here. So without further ado, let's get it. Welcome back to the TCP podcast. Um, I got my guy Coleman Ayers right here. By any means, basketball. And if you guys don't know my man, 
you're living under a rock. So I personally, I feel like you don't need much of an introduction, but for anybody who may not know you, um, you want to just give a little bit of information about yourself. Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't drag this out because all podcast listeners know that this is, uh, this is where y'all kind of get bored. But yeah, Coleman Ayers run by any means basketball, a skill basketball, primarily skills and performance training uh, organization out of Miami, Florida. I uh, just recently opened up my own gym, Detail Miami, over in Miami Lakes. Um, produce online content, YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of trying to blend the performance and skill side of basketball training, um, work with athletes from youth up to pro, um, and then also have been traveling around and making sure that everyone else can uh, kind of experience the, uh, the hopefully innovative and quality training that I uh, bring to the table. So it's a little bit about me, what I'm doing, um, and where I have kind of come. Word. Um, so I'll get right into it. Um, you're you're a young guy. How old are you? 24? 23. 23. Yes, Pol- apologize. Uh, so <laughs> you're a young guy, and I've always admired the fact that you were able to kind of handle so many things at once and still be as successful and, yeah, basically as successful as you are. So my question for you is how are you able to get out YouTube videos um, editing them yourself, create workouts, actually train players, you know, put on clinics, do your own research on the side while also finishing up a degree. And after you answer that, what is some advice that you would give to somebody in a similar position? Yeah, that's actually one of the tougher questions I get. Um, and I think it's, it roots back to not me working longer hours. Like I don't work from 5 a.m. to midnight every night i consider every hour that i do work to be more quality in the sense of like i'm just so passionate about everything that i do and i'm a perfectionist about everything that i do um to the point where like i'll wake up you know at a reasonable time and have same the same amount of hours as everyone else but it's just more of like uh every single minute that i spend is a little bit more efficient I would say than maybe I used to be or um, every single minute is um, I don't even want to say productive but working towards where I want to get um, and of course that does come with you know scheduling and, and balancing prioritizing making sure everything is um, getting done um, but I do think a lot of it does group back to just being passionate about you know everything that I have going on so that I look forward to this stuff and it's not like work, right? Where if I wake up and this morning right before the podcast, I'm watching some film editing a video, I wake up looking forward to doing that, not dreading it. Um, And I think that kind of helps me because it's not like, you know, I can only work a certain amount of, you can only really work a certain amount of hours in a day. But if you're doing stuff for fun and you're enjoying it and you're passionate about it, then it's a little bit easier. Uh, now, with that being said, it has gotten tough, um, just as more has been kind of added to the plate. Um, so I'm now starting to learn the importance of outsourcing work. Um, so I'm starting to build a team. It's now at four. Um, so I have my guy, Davis, who is an assistant trainer and my marketing director, um, just hired a full-time content creator 
So content is going to get a lot easier. And then I have my business manager, Josh, who handles some things on the administrative side. So this is all pretty recent. Um, I've been doing pretty much everything myself up until last couple months or last few months. But now it's like I'm, I'm starting to see how much uh, how much creativity and possibilities can open up when you start to outsource work to other people, which is a challenge in itself. Um, but that's for another time. But yeah, I mean, in terms of advice, I would say number one is just find something you're passionate about. So just don't force yourself into something that you're not passionate about. Um, cause then that's when everything becomes work rather than, um, like a passion play. Um, number two, just find ways to be efficient, right? So like video editing for me, I probably could have gotten even crazier with editing. I'm not going to do that because I'm prioritizing efficiency. So I just kind of research, uh, spent time and, and money researching ways to edit faster, to do other things faster. Um, so that kind of comes back on the back end and I have more time because I'm editing videos quicker, all that. Um, and the number three is when you have the means to, uh, be comfortable outsourcing work, even if it's not ideal because you know, nobody's ever going to love your work as much as you or your business as much as you. But once you get people on board who are really passionate, just like you, everything is going to start to open up a little bit, which always helps um, just because you'll have more time to do the stuff that you're really, your million dollar task, the things that you're really good at and that you will ultimately be most successful off of. So that's kind of the, the three headed monster of, uh, of, advice that I would give to uh, anyone kind of in my position. For sure. And do you think to kind of piggyback off that you're talking about like efficiency with like editing video? Cause I'm getting into that myself and it like, it's whenever yeah. you first getting into it, like it, it's time consuming oh, for sure. Tough. Content creation in general is like very time consuming, but you've done it for years now. So like pure experience, do you feel like your efficiency level has gone up based on just doing it so often? No, it, it, it definitely has. Because <clears throat> I started off when I was 15, 16, literally just like editing little like hoop mixtapes for my boys and I like on our AAU team um, when I had all the time in the world. Then I started to make the attention to detail videos a couple years later, like even starting on iMovie. So I've had a long time just like with anything, repetition and, and figuring stuff out for a long time. You get pretty efficient at it. Um, so now at this point, it's like clockwork where I can, you know, open my computer and make a video in 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes longer than that for sure, depending on what it is. Um, but like an Instagram video, I can be really quick with it. So that doesn't take up a crazy amount of time, but I do think that's a lot of repetition involved. And I was lucky to have started when I was, when I had more time, when I wasn't training, you know, four or five sessions a day. Um, but I do think like you either go one of two ways, you take the time to learn it or you get somebody else to do it. Or, uh, and this is an interesting topic as well. Now that Instagram and TikTok are starting to really promote like the shorter form reels, um, those are a lot easier to edit. <clears throat> so what I've been kind of consulting some people to do is like, just stick with those. Don't try to go too crazy on the editing and play into the the uh the nature of these platforms uh, or where they're going so those are 
you know, different routes that you can take. It really just depends on your vision, whether you want to be really high quality or whether you want the quality to be um, not lower, but more just Instagram real bare bones and then just kind of differentiate yourself with the, the quality of the content. So um, going back to your original question, yes, a lot of repetition, but I think there are ways to kind of skirt around that uh, these days. Yeah, I mean, regarding the reels, even like my Instagram, it's crazy to see like like every Sunday I'll post like a two to three minute video yeah. and like the <laughs> the audience versus like a three minute video or like a 15 second reel is crazy. Yeah. Like I, I might get like 3000 views on a reel, but like 24 views on a three minute video. It's crazy. It's wild. And I think Instagram is is promoting that like the shorter the video, the better. Yeah. Um, and that's just because they know that people's attention spans are really low and they're just trying to play into that, which is insane because I would rather, I mean, not not that people's reels aren't good, but, you know, the, the deeper, kind of more uh, fully immersive videos are always good, too. So it's unfortunate, but it's the way it is. It is the way it is. And that, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. You got to either understand how to use the algorithm to your advantage, which I'm trying to do, or... I mean, just not. <laughs> I don't really know. Or go against it, exactly. Yeah. Um, but all right, to kind of continue, this is like a bigger scale because obviously getting through school and still training and content creation is like a large uh, bag. But, yeah. you know, you're 23 now. You have your own gym, thriving business with buying and Vans basketball and Detail Miami. And then also Mastery Hoops is a lot of stuff to be dealing with, especially at 23. Um and I'm sure many other endeavors that you're working on. So what, like, this is similar probably answers, but more so like larger scale now, what is like, what is Coleman Ayers doing from a business standpoint and your gym and mastery hoops that a lot of people aren't doing, especially at such a young age? No, I think that's a good, a good question. And it's very different from, uh, you know, the first one. And so I think it, just to give some background before the question, by any means is kind of my personal brand slash, uh, you know, <clears throat> original training organization. So that's kind of the umbrella of everything. Um, Detail is my gym and the Mastery Hoops is our uh, coaches platform, primarily for coaches, trainers. Uh, so, you know, we have courses coming soon um, as well as our online platform, conferences, all that stuff. So I think, the key here is that um, everything has to play into each other. And without that, like if I had three separate entities that were just like completely compartmentalized where I had to focus on one and then focus on the other and then the other, and they were all very different, it would make it probably impossible for me. But I think the fact that all three of them play into each other um, makes everything not only possible, but very synergistic in the sense of like if i'm doing something to promote mighty means basketball or not promote but like build content for mighty means basketball do a clinic all of that can tie back into mastery hoops because i'll be talking to coaches maybe or i'll be aiming something at coaches and then it ties back into detail because you know that's the home base or the hq of everything so these three always kind of find themselves tying into each other um which is the coolest part about the business. Um, but I think from a, to answer your question, um, there's a vision 
that kind of goes with all three of them growing together. Um, and not one of them can really be left behind. So I do try to consider all three of those when I'm making any business move or putting out a program or putting out a piece of content um, so that all three of those can grow. Um, and then I'm working on some interesting stuff for this year. Um, been writing a lot for a, a book that I have. I want to get that like actually published on uh, on Amazon and you know like paperback, hardcover, all that stuff. Um, that should be uh, an interesting endeavor for this year. I already have like forty thousand words written for that, so I think that's like a hundred something pages. Not hundred percent sure, but even that like will go in to some of those compartments, mastery, binding means, and kind of help promote those. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot kind of in the in the uh, in the pipeline, but I think the main thing that I try to keep in mind is that it has to fit in with everything that I'm doing or it's not efficient enough to, uh, to, to spend my time on if it's not actually lifting every single part of the multiple businesses. Yeah. All right. One, let me know when that book comes out. Cause I'm going to definitely buy oh, yeah. it. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and right. two I'll send you, I'll send you a copy. word and two, um, it's interesting because I, I, I wasn't following you when you were like really young. Um, I, I think I, I got put onto you or found out about you probably like two years ago now. And, oh, um, you know, by, I, to me, it seems like by any means basketball was kind of like you said, like the umbrella. So like everything yeah. was stemming up and rooting from that. So mastery hoops stems from by any means basketball, obviously like you and Tyler are doing a, a great job with that. So like Tyler's philosophies yeah. come in, but you guys align with a lot of things. Um, right. detail is just basically by any means basketball. Coleman errors yeah. and now you're putting together a team. So it's, it's cool to see everything come into fruition. And, um, obviously I'm not in your mind, so I don't understand all your vision, but like from what you put out and from what you and I have had any sort of conversations about, like to see by any means basketball start where it was to then be detailed Miami and now mastery hoops and about to have a book and you already have eBooks and all this content. Like it's, it's cool to see. And for you to say like everything yeah. works together, it makes a lot of sense. No, I appreciate that, bro. That's definitely the uh, that's definitely the goal, just to continue to grow every single compartment of it and do it at a, at a speed that's not too fast, but uh, definitely pushing it a little bit. Hell yeah! But all right, so with that kind of taken out of the way, we understand Barney Me's basketball, mastery hoops, and detail Miami. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your training style, philosophy, and how you operate as a coach? Yeah, for sure. I think. The main thing for me, and I was thinking about this the other day, is that I never really had like a a trainer as a you know high school kid, middle school kid. So I never really had I didn't have a predetermined notion of what a trainer is or does uh, as I started to chase this uh, vision, you know, when I was in high school. So it was basically just me figuring stuff out for myself. Now, a lot of what I did at the beginning was absolutely just god-awful. Um, but that's all of us. That's all of us at the end of the day. Um, unless you have an absolutely unreal first mentorship experience where you just learn everything from the jump. But that's very rare. Um, so I think my point being with that is having to figure stuff out for myself, I want more so to 
the research and my intuition than the old, you know, kind of standards of what trainers do. Um, so as my training style started to develop a little bit, I think, it, you know, it's, it's, I started off wanting to be purely performance coach. Um, that was kind of my first love. Like I was training myself and a couple other teammates and friends on the basketball side of things. But everything I researched was performance, performance, strength and conditioning, you know, speed and agility, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then I started to see, like, why is why is there a difference between the two? Why, why do I have to choose performance or basketball? Um, so that's kind of when I started to just at least, you know, without training many athletes at the time because I was a freshman in college, um, look at, like, all right, how can we – combine these things and then I started to get you know some clients here and there these things started to work together pretty well like they you know the performance and the and the basketball side of things came together kind of seamlessly and I think that's where my my philosophy of uh I think I mean there are a couple big pillars to it but number one is that I do think that you know combining the performance and the skill side should be something that's done um i think they play into each other really well so that's one thing i do i try to look at everything on the skill side from a uh performance perspective and then everything on the performance side from a skills perspective um and then i also think a lot of what i do another big pillar of this is uh just pushing creativity and divergent uh, training instead of convergent training. So what I mean by that is expanding our options, becoming creative, uh, allowing players to explore rather than trying to prescribe them or feed them the perfect technique. Um, and then the last big pillar I mentioned is just a lot of live play. Um, I think the more things are reactive and uh, perceptually accurate to what we see in the game, or as close as as close to it as we can get, uh, you know, the, the better it's going to transfer to a game. So those are kind of three big pillars of how I would say I train. Number one, uh, combining the performance and skill side. Number two is pushing creativity, exploration, uh, innovation, and then number three is um, live play reaction and making sure everything is aligned with the skill acquisition science because ultimately that's uh a lot of what goes into how we learn as human motor learning no for sure and um to kind of get right into my next question at so the player development conference in october yeah. um you got mastery who's put that together in, in miami dope conference um, during your presentation, oh, yeah. you spoke about how essentially, like you were just saying, all things performance, like everything ties in together. And specifically, you were right. saying all things performance are like puzzle pieces. And creating essentially a confident and effective player in the end is the finalized puzzle. So if you want to dive a little bit more into that, um, specifically, like like how does performance and skill necessarily going together and why is like they're just just dive into that a little bit because i yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can get flustered talking about it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah no we can go on for, for a long time I'm, I'm gonna ask you what you think about it as well after after this but i think the main thing for me 
is <clears throat> to understand that COVID uh, is to understand that um, each each player is a puzzle, and under that, each skill is a puzzle. Um, and I think we kind of understand that each player is a puzzle in the sense of like we take all these qualities and those build up a player. We take all these skills and those build up a player. What I think we miss out on is each skill in itself is a puzzle and we don't have to train just that skill. So when we're training game skills, well, maybe we can train the qualities that go into these game skills and they can apply to more. So, for example, I think, you know, the the example I gave at PDC was um, like a pull-up jumper or like a, cro- a crossover, I think. So when we look at a crossover, it's like, all right, uh, anti-lateral flexion of the core because now we have to, as we're going this way, stop ourselves and get back the other way, right? Ankle stiffness, ankle mobility, um, you know, being able to use our eyes is a whole puzzle piece or skill in itself. Um, being able to shift weight and unload the other foot. So all these things are the puzzle pieces that go into the big puzzle, which is just the skill of a crossover. Now, the important part of this is that those puzzle pieces can also be used as puzzle pieces for other skills. So when we're training, I don't know, our, uh, you know, multi-directional ankle mobility. So our ability to plant here and then get into uh, a conducive position to move back with the crossover. This isn't just for a crossover. This is also for how we move laterally on defense. This is also for how we separate out um, into a jump shot. So I think a lot of the time trainers or the training community gets caught up with only doing things that are seen in game. Now the problem with that is that nothing that we do in a workout is going to be game-like anyways, especially when it's on air. So my kind of philosophy is let's train these puzzle pieces, especially when we don't have, you know, and we can do both. We can do both, but especially when we don't have defense in a workout, especially when the workout or the training environment isn't anything like a game, let's attack these puzzle pieces just like we would in a strength and conditioning environment. Um, so that we can start to build the robustness of these skills uh, just by these puzzle pieces starting to get stronger. So let's say I improve my, all those qualities I talked about um, a few seconds ago, like the anti-lateral flexion, all the stuff going on at the ankle, ability to shift weight. If I improve all of those, chances are my crossover is going to get better, or at least it's going to be easier for me to improve it. So I think once we start to do, once skills trainers start to see all skills from a, once we start to dissect these skills to these deeper qualities, that's when we can really go in and attack these certain qualities. And again, you don't have to be a strength coach to understand these things. Um, you know, you can even outsource this to a strength coach. Like, all right, their crossover isn't great. I see that they're getting kind of uh, collapsed in their cut. Hey, strength coach over here, how can I improve this? And then that's where the synergy comes in. So um, I do think this is a really important way to look at skills. Uh, it's definitely helped me kind of understand how to improve each skill. Because when you look at it, it's like, all right, how do we improve a crossover? Right? It's like, do it a lot. Me tell you how to do it, and you still can't really do it. 
Um, or you could look deeper into that and look at the individual qualities in that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from with the puzzle pieces. And then, you know, eventually the, the, the other analogy that I used was like the structure that you have, two bridges could be built the exact same. One could be wood and one could be, I don't know, heavy metals, you know, the top, uh, uh, whatever it's called, whatever the top, uh, equipment is built or is made, um, in that bridge. So which one's going to be more robust, right? The wood one or the heavy metal cinder block, all that stuff. They're the same build, they're the same skill, but they're built with different materials. Same thing in terms of our skills. If we build the skills with better qualities, with better uh, puzzle pieces, then they're probably going to hold up better in competition. So that's kind of my thought. <clears throat> Hopefully uh, people understood that when I, when I mentioned it at, uh, at PDC, I think. It may have went over some people's heads, and that's on me. I got to do a better job of explaining it. But I'm interested uh, in what you think of it, what what your opinion is on that just whole idea. That's something I came up with like a month before the uh, the conference. But I think it's a, a decent analogy. No, I think I think it's a cool analogy for sure. And I think a lot of people did understand it, but um, yeah, it's just the fact that it's so nuanced, and it's just. Yeah. you're 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 preaching something that not a lot of people have preached ever you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. i think i think you did a perfectly fine job but if people aren't looking at performance and also skill acquisition and even trying to put those two together then it, it might be a little harder to understand but i mean for for me i think it's i think it's a global um it's a global process meaning like whole body yeah. mind body everything so yeah for me also like at the at the conference, Paul Favorites was there and he mentioned how a skills coach is also a strength and conditioning coach. A strength and conditioning coach is also a skills coach. Because if you look at yeah. a jump shot, that's applied metric every single time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They're jumping like that stretch shortening cycle every single time. That's extensive plyos every single time. A skills performance coach is also a strength and conditioning coach. You know what I mean? It, so 100%. if you look at it from that kind of view, that kind of... um perspective it's it yeah. makes sense to at least like you said understand why like if i'm if i'm working on a negative step that's performance training that's that skill that that that, that is that is agility that is we're working on a physical and athletic quality we're we're doing these things just like a strength and conditioning coach would yeah. and not a lot of skills guys realize that um but Another thing that I like that you do a lot is you train, like you were saying, like like you were alluding to, you train the body how to move first, and then you put the ball in their hands. So it's like if 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 somebody doesn't even know how to properly move on a crossover, planting left right, if it's a left right crossover, they're not going to be able to do it with the ball in their hand. Or if they do, it's not going to be nearly as effective if they have the athletic qualities to do it without the ball in their hand. Right. So I think it, if you think about it like that, it's just you. You won't be able to have enough or as you won't be able to have as efficient of a crossover if you don't have the athletic qualities before. So I personally, I think blending skill and strength and conditioning or performance, however you want to call it, I think that's that's the future, because if you're able to do both at a very, very high clip, like why, why would you why would you outsource to to a skill yeah. development coach and then also a strength and conditioning coach? You know what I mean? 
And if you have a guy like yourself or Paul Favorites or whoever is in that same field and you know basketball super well, you also know the human body super well, why why would you you would save money, but you would also get much better results because you understand how like the physiology of a basketball player. Like if I'm conditioning the shit out of them, maybe maybe I shouldn't teach them a brand new skill. You know what I mean? Like because you understand that physiological point from the strength and conditioning mindset. So I think it, it, it really all comes together. And I think a lot of people do understand that, but a lot of people don't at the same time. So, yeah, but no, for sure. I, no, I think, I, I do think it's the next, I think anyone who does both will have a major advantage, both from a purely results standpoint, because like, there's inherently going to be that synergy of understanding workload, understanding uh, compartmentalizing stress, just like the quadrant system idea where you're like, yep. you know, maybe I work this guy crazy hard on the court today. Oh, I'll work him hard on the weight room and tomorrow we'll go light in both. Um, not only from that standpoint, but kind of understanding the synergy of everything you do in the weight room is, is a skill and that's going to apply to the court and vice versa. Um, and then also from a business standpoint, like if I can do both strength and conditioning and uh, skill side, skills side for quote unquote, um, yeah, yeah, these athletes, which I think all of it again should be under one umbrella, but that's used down a lot. Um, you know, that's that saves me, like you mentioned, outsourcing the strength and conditioning to someone else, which just ultimately keeps them in, in my gym longer. Um, and Helps me build that relationship. So I think it's it's definitely the next uh, frontier. I just I, I I'm curious to see whether people will. I think it's going to be more strength coaches getting into basketball than basketball coaches getting into strength, purely because I've seen. I'm just going to call it out, call it how I see it. I've seen more drive and willingness to learn from the strength and conditioning side. You know, guys are willing to pay for and girls are willing to pay for CEUs, they're willing to pay for certifications, they're willing to invest in themselves, read books. On the skill side, again, calling it how I see it, I don't see 99% of skills trainers cracking open one single book in in their life. Um, so yeah. I do think that's where skills or uh, performance coaches have a fantastic opportunity to learn the game, especially if you're somebody like yourself who knows the game and, and strength and conditioning, it's easy to uh, start to blend into it. Because basketball skills is honestly the easier part for me. Way, way easier. You just understand what goes on in a game. You find the puzzle pieces. You find the situations and the environments that happen in a game, and you just recreate those and train. Um, obviously, that's probably a little bit too simplistic, but... I think basketball is, is a lot easier to train for than, than uh, strength and conditioning. So I think there's going to be a huge push by uh, innovative strength and performance coaches to get into both. Um, and that could mean something bad for the, uh, for the skills training community if we, did, if we don't pick it up. So I'm encouraging everyone to do it. I know a lot, of, a lot of people who are listening to this and our skills trainers are probably willing to invest in themselves so i'm probably not talking to you if you hear this but uh but a lot of skills trainers are uh are definitely 
a little bit too uh, lax on the uh, on the research side of things. For sure. To kind of go off that last point, though, I'm interested to see like, because in 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 like the college sector, for example, I think it, it might be a little more realistic from like a professional standpoint to have a guy that does both skill and strength but from like a college standpoint especially the ncaa like oh yeah like as a strength coach you can't even mention the word sports specific right. you know what no, i mean it's, so it's completely separate from, from one another yeah like you can't even if you're at i know mostly division two uh division one but like i'm at a division three college right now and i don't think like i don't know the exact number of hours that the strength coach has with athletes but um, it, I know it's not a crazy amount per team. And it's like, if I, if I'm a guy who does both skill and strength, especially at like a division one level, I I'm, I'm really curious to see if in the future, maybe they're like, yeah, for basketball, he's our strength guy and also our skill guy. Because right now I'm at, I'm, I'm interning at the school that I played at, uh, Southern Maine community college. And like, they're allowing me to yeah. do both. So they have less, Really? yeah, they have really? less rules as far as like what like the kind of time that I have with them and right. like all this stuff because even at a division one level um I'm sorry division three level you're not allowed like the sport coach isn't allowed to talk to a player yeah. like all summer you know what I mean so yeah from a community college level it's cool for me because I'm able to do both but I would be super interested to see if like the NCAA kind of makes some strides towards that in the future yeah I think it's it's a long way away, even just in terms of the culture of it, where it's like college is just college athletics are so you know a college strength coach when you see one, and that's not that's not like a, a bad thing. They have, but they have like a very like um, strength based mindset for the most part. I, again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but like that's just typically where you you see the biggest separations between strength coaches and uh skills so i think that's probably the furthest away maybe at the pro level you start to see a little something but i doubt it i think where it's mostly going to come to play are like high schools and then the private sector um like you know independent trainers who athletes work with during the summer and everything but it's definitely going to be tough from a institution or professional uh organization standpoint to start to uh, to breed that shift a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, shit, it, it starts with guys like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Keep pushing yeah. the needle like forward. Us, and like us, bro. You're doing both right now. So shit. try to do what we can to, to push the needle forward. Oh, yeah. But, um, all right. So to kind of go off that last, that last question, um, a big staple in your training is variability. So for those listening, how can they effectively integrate variability into their training, like as a player, and then for coaches, how can they use more variability both on the court and in the weight room? So I think number one is understanding why it's so important or why it works to actually help us improve our skill. Um, As humans or movers, we have just a natural inherent variability to what we do, right? So like, when you look at, and I'll keep this very brief, but when you look at every best shooter, <clears throat> despite, you know, the, the notion that every shot is the same where they do, the, you know, it's it's converging them into the same technique every time, you know, they do the same jumper every time, they do the same crossover every time. What really makes the best athletes the best is being able to vary their technique 
and still be able to solve that problem or find a solution. So when Steph shoots, most of the time it's not the exact same shot. It may look like it, but there are these micro differences in <clears throat> technique that allow him to vary uh, his technique and adapt to the environment. So <clears throat> if we're only training uh, in a way that breeds the same technique every time, then that, this, there's a disconnect here. Um, and I think one of the big things that I did is a little pushback on is like variability has to be, it's, it's sacrificing efficiency, it's sacrificing quality. And I don't think variability has to be anything crazy. And a shooting drill can literally be instead of shooting uh, corner threes for 20 in a row, you go corner and win, right? That's simple variability. Even within like, so I'll have guys do block shooting sometimes where they're standing in the corner making shots, but I'll give them a little bit bad passes and they don't even notice it, but now they're having to start to adapt to it. Um, I'll vary the angle that I pass it from. So it's really not a crazy complex idea. It's just the idea that every rep is going to be somewhat different. Um, and again, this is on a spectrum from simple stuff like that to live play, which is kind of the epitome of um, variability at its highest or the, the highest end of that spectrum. So <clears throat> I think, I mean, one of the easy ways to implement going back to your original question, variability is live play. Every rep is going to be different. It's repetition without repetition. Even if you're doing the same task, uh, let's say it's a finishing drill or a finishing setup where I'm finishing off of two feet, uh, you know, on a player who's stepping up. We're doing the same task every time, but it's going to be different each time <clears throat> just because every single rep is going to be different in terms of the timing, in terms of maybe I'm more fatigued, so I don't jump as high, so I have to find a solution for that. Maybe... I don't know, I hurt my ankle a couple reps ago and now I have to find a way to favor my left leg or whatever. So there's there's always going to be some different variable. Um, and this is how it's going to be in the game. So this is probably how we should start to incorporate this into practice. So it is on a spectrum. <clears throat> Everything from moving a couple feet to the side for your shots or all the way up to live play where every single rep is just inherently different. Um, but I think the big thing to keep in mind for both players and coaches is if everything is easy because most reps or get, if it starts to get easy because all the reps are the same, you probably need to incorporate some variability. So if you're doing the same layup eight times over and over again, and each rep is it's going in, it's going in, it's going in, you need a sufficient level of difficulty to actually improve. Um, and, and see this motor learning effect. So uh, one of the easy surefire fixes here is implementing some level of variability where you may do a finish and then another type of finish and then a shot. And now you're just varying it. So you have to essentially resynchronize uh, your body or your brain each time to uh, solve this problem. So again, it doesn't have to be crazy. It can be on a spectrum, but the main thing here is to just be aware that variability makes things more difficult in general, at least. And difficulty is what we need to breed failure, which ultimately breeds um, learning in the end. <clears throat> For sure. And I think especially based off the stuff that you put out, um, they, people just resonate with variability as like this super 
like clown drills, basically, yeah. like what people say. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, like you were saying, it doesn't. It really doesn't have to be that difficult. It can be as simple as right. we're we're doing layups, and you can't have the same layup, like the same finish every yeah. single. Like it has to be different every single rep. Exactly. And from there, add layers to it. Obviously, you can add audio cues, visual cues, like you said, live defense. So I think, and I'll we'll get into this a little bit later, but like people just need to be a little bit more open-minded and not look at it from a judgmental view because it's like, you you know nothing about this guy's training philosophies, maybe take a minute to look at some of his other stuff and then look at his players, like maybe they're super successful. Like you post about your guys often and to see their progress is like results in its own. You know what I mean? It speaks for itself. So, but um, to, to go off variability and you can keep this as short as you want because like most of these topics we could get pretty deep, but in the okay. weight room, um, I think more so than on the court, variability is super frowned upon. So how would you go about using variability in the weight room and why is it beneficial at all? Yeah, that's <clears throat> number one. Uh, I do agree with that, that in the, in the weight room, it's even, uh, frowned upon more just because like, it's so convergent where we have to have the perfect technique. If you're doing a split squat, you have to go down to this depth. You have to get this, you know, perfect 90 degree knee angle, which is good. Again, I think we, there is the time to stabilize this perfect, uh, technical model. Um, so it's easier to vary from there, but I do think, and this is something I took from, from Mike G, I believe it's the three, the three D's, um, direction, depth, and, there's one more um it'll come to me and this is like how i've been going off of or this is how i've been finding ways to to vary um in the weight room so it's like you know when we're doing a lunge right the direction could be a little bit forward it could be a little bit to the side could be a little bit across our body nothing crazy really just a couple of degrees but every time we're doing this we're targeting different structures we are um when we look at it from a skill standpoint we're more engaged because it's different every time. So our brain's like, oh shit, now I actually have to be aware of this stuff as I'm doing the exercise rather than just falling into this automatic, like same rep every single time. Um, and that's where we ultimately lose track of skill in the weight room because everything just becomes automatic. So when we vary the direction of it, when we <clears throat> vary the, the depth of it, so maybe sometimes we really sink into it. Maybe sometimes we get a quick pop off the ground. Um, I think all of this is just easy, easy ways to, to vary it. And then this can even be reactive. Like one thing I've been doing recently and I haven't posted about this because I'm not a hundred percent sure about it yet. Um, is like audio cueing or even visual cueing, uh, like exercises, strength exercises. So I'll have guys going like, a <clears throat> off of a box, like a reverse lunge and they're sinking down into a slow. And when I say go, that's when they go up. So maybe sometimes they'll be sinking like barely into it and they'll have to go up. Maybe sometimes they'll go to a really low joint angle and then have to go up. Um, and again, this is more so not to add a twist in there. that just doesn't need to be added, but, but more so to, uh, to just implement some level of attention with, with the athletes. I think, again, that's a big thing is like, if I, if I tell, Hey, go, go do 
eight reps of reverse lunges off the box. They're like, all right, bet. Boom. And I do this myself. Bang them out, whatever, bang them out, going through the motions. If I'm like, all right, you have to be perceptually in tuned with me or with your partner um, during that set, then there's more uh, what I call attentional currency devoted to that task, which means the skill will probably improve more. Um, so this is kind of how I start to implement like skill acquisition science into the weight room. Um, I'm not 100% sure about it yet, again, which is why I haven't posted it yet, but I do think there are some uh, benefits in this and just implementing uh, variability and even reactive variability into these uh, weight room tasks at the end of the day. Yeah, I... I had to write that one down. Attentional currency. I really like that. Oh, bro, that's that's a lot of uh, what's in this in this new book that I'm working on. It's uh, yeah. Well, I'll go into it another time, but it's yeah. Basically, like you have to spend your attentional currency to buy results. That's for me. At the end of the day, that's kind of where I'm where I'm seeing it from. Yeah, and I I think like obviously we mentioned it before and the puzzle pieces and meshing everything together. But especially in the weight room, I think that's when we're really exposed to like this raw stimulus with dumbbells or barbells, whatever it is. And it's, it's, I think it's important to expose our athletes and our players to that stress in a controlled setting, which is the weight room. So I think sometimes variability is, is much needed. And I think that that attentional currency with audio cues, or maybe it's like, you print off colors, like maybe on a piece of paper, you yeah, have green, yeah. yellow, red, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like throw like that, that up and they got to get whatever, like yeah, attentional yeah. currency like that. That's, that's a, I, I like that a lot. Oh yeah. But, no, and I think the big question for me, which is why I'm kind of wondering if it's actually valuable is like, if you look at the weight room, it's just like the place to get a mechanical stimulus <clears throat> where it's like, we just need structure. We're just targeting structure. Okay bet we don't need any of this like that's fine that's fine with me and there are times where i'm like yep just you know i mean both most of my exercises all right go get eight rdls and whatever like yeah i'm not gonna sit there and audio cue every <laughs> everything but like maybe on early in the performance workout early in you know even on like a bigger lift um these are the ones where we're targeting more of a neural uh stimulation or adaptation so this is where we may want to implement something that fires up our nervous system uh, rather than just kind of sends it to sleep. But I think like my accessory lifts or whatever towards the end of the workout, that's where I'll be like, all right, I'm not looking for anything other than structure here. Uh, go bang those out by yourself on your own tempo. Um, but earlier in the workout, that's kind of when I'm, I'm targeting uh, – the nervous system and, and having them spend that attentional currency. Yeah. And I will, we'll finish up this question right here. So we don't stay on one too long, but uh, there, there obviously is a fine line between the court and the weight room. And there are things that you get from the court yeah. that you don't on the weight room. So I think that's probably, that's probably where your head is at. Where like, I don't know if it's entirely great to always have that attentional currency and spend right. that in the weight room because maybe they're just getting too much of the same looks physiologically at that point. But I think it's I think it's interesting that you're you and multiple people are working on that kind of stuff and like just playing around with that stuff to see if it has any sort of value. 
Um, but you alluded to it just now. So another staple in your training is challenging and training your guys or girls cognitively. So I know you and I have talked about this. You talk about it a lot on Instagram or your platforms. Um, talk about why that's so important. Yeah, I mean, I think it just, it's just, it's something that it's at the core of how we learn, where if there's no challenge, <clears throat> there could be a physical challenge. There could be a, a conditioning challenge, right? And that's kind of what we chase most of the time with like two ball burnout drills or whatever we may be doing. Um, that's kind of like a facade for, for challenge for me. Yes, we need a condition. Uh, that's just a, another topic in itself. But I think a lot of times we shy away from cognitive challenge being skilled challenge and actually uh, challenging ourselves, you know, from a skill standpoint or a motor learning standpoint. And we use that, you know, fatigue as a, uh, as a, as a smoke screen, right? Just because something, you know, you leave a workout and you're like, damn, that was a good workout, but you didn't really challenge yourself cognitively. You challenge yourself from a fatigue standpoint, you know, you got tired, you challenge yourself from a physiological standpoint. So I think the more we keep in mind uh, how challenging is this from a cognitive standpoint, because that's actually what's going to help us uh, improve from a motor learning standpoint, that's when we start to get big results. Um, and then, I mean, again, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like if I have players playing live against each other, I know it's cognitively challenging because they're not getting a bucket every time. If they are, then I have to put some constraint on it. But they're not getting a bucket every time. There's something that's challenging them, whether that's the defender trying to stop them, whether that's uh, the task itself. But I think just always asking yourself, do I want this athlete to be learning? If the answer is yes, then is from there, straight from there, is there a cognitive challenge to this? Or am I just chasing fatigue or an exercise that may just be kind of an arbitrary um, thing that I throw at the athlete to uh, see if it's, you know, difficult or whatever. So again, it's not, I'm not perfect at nowhere near it. Like I'll throw tasks at athletes that are way too easy and I'll probably go on way too long with those. Um, and you know, that's a learning experience for me where it's like, damn, I probably should have challenged them more. Um, but again, I think the more we start to realize, like, let's challenge our athletes from a skill standpoint, and always keep that in mind. Sometimes you don't need it. And I, I won't go too long about this, but sometimes you don't want to challenge them too much. Sometimes you just want a confidence effect where they're shooting a bunch of threes. They're feeling good. It's in season. Sometimes you don't want to challenge. But when you always have that, that barometer of how much challenge you're looking for and then understanding where you're at on that barometer, I think that's where we really start to get in tune with uh, how our athlete is learning and that just drive results with them ultimately. No, I agree. And I think as far as like challenging them cognitively, I think that that's really where transfer comes. And I think yeah. whenever you engage, because you, you said it before too, some, like you alluded to it at the beginning, we usually qualify a workout as solid or good through fatigue. You know what I mean? So, right, right. but maybe we need to change that and make it more so like how many decisions do we make? versus yep. how tired are Love we it. or how many reps do we get up but how many decisions um right and that's how you make those neural connections and it's not just physical you're not just going through the motions you actually have to think through things and that's how you transfer over to game um so i exactly. like 
I resonate with you and Tyler for sure whenever it comes to that kind of stuff. And um, that's a big kind of pillar in my training philosophy that I use whenever I train people. Um, But all right, this is a big one. So with variability and cognitive demand comes error and failure. So how are you able to create a psychologically safe environment when working with a variety of different players, ages, attitudes, personalities, all this stuff? Great question. I love the psychological safety term. Um, that's something that I've been really trying to develop in the uh, in my gym recently, just with my athletes. And it, again, I'm not perfect on this. Also, there are times where where athletes don't feel comfortable failing, and and I take that on myself. Um, <clears throat> but I do think the more we can get athletes comfortable with speaking up, failing, asking questions, um, and seeking out failure even, um, and, and not uh, constraining themselves in the fear of failing, <clears throat> I think that's where we really start to see results. And I think how I get to that point is primarily, number one, by just constantly emphasizing like, or showing positive body language or, or even uh, verbal language i guess when uh when an athlete fails right so when somebody uh misses a layup that's meant to be challenging because i'm trying to challenge him i'm not probably so there are two ways you can take this you can either uh demean them and be like oh why would you miss that layup which is a lot of what we see from parents understandably so because they care about their kids making layups and performing well um or you can take that the opposite way where you encourage them like oh that's what we want right like this is what should be happening you make them feel comfortable with failing with uh working through this challenge and the better we are able to breed this environment this culture in our gym in our weight room whatever it may be uh that's when athletes start to feel comfortable with it and they start to chase this challenge more and as a result they start to fail more and that's perfectly fine because eventually they'll start to fail less and that's how they learn um so i think number one is encouraging failure in a way which sounds crazy but i think it's more practical uh once you start to kind of see it in action number two is just building good relationships with athletes i think when you're uh when you have a comfortable quality relationship with an athlete uh they're a lot more comfortable failing than if it's like a uh, either a very rigid relationship where you guys don't really talk much off the court or whatever. But like, I mean, all the guys, that come, I'm like we mentioned, I'm a young dude. So like, I'm not going to act like I'm the, the 40 year old coach who is like constantly, you know, uh, like it's just a different coaching style there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not going to be like, like a, like a drill sergeant. No, exactly, exactly. And I think that's a challenge for a young, for all young coaches, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, but I think just kind of building like that little brother relationship with a lot of my close players has helped them understand like, oh, I can fail in front of this guy. Like he's not judging me. Um, I'll kind of mess around with them when they do fail, but it's all fun and games at the end of the day. Um, and just kind of building this collaborative culture. It's not me teaching them we're all in an environment working together for them to learn. It's all collaborative. It's not me feeding them information. Once they start to feel that, 
everything starts to click. And then, I mean, the culture that you know I've been able to build in even the first few months of the gym um, is something that I've even been, I've surprised myself with just because everyone is like, I'm constantly asking guys, you know, what do you want to work on? What even drills or, or uh, small side of games you want to do? And they're constantly feeding to me feedback where like, hey, I want to work on this. Uh, they're constantly asking questions. They're, they'll fail five times in a row and they're frustrated, but they'll laugh about it. And then they'll go and kill it and get five in a row. And then they'll do it in a game. And it's, it's crazy to see how it all comes together. Um, but I think square one is just building that trust. And then number one, you care about the athlete. Um, that's all you care about. No ulterior motives. Uh, and you care about their improvement. Number two, saying with that baseline of trust, uh, this is how you're going to improve is you're going to fail. You're going to work through challenge. So they now have that trust. They trust you on that. And then it's just carrying out that every single day, every single workout so that they understand, uh, he's actually, he, he means this, right? It's not like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to fail. You're going to challenge. You're going to experience challenge. This is, uh, how you're going to learn. And then I go and I punish them for failure. Um, so it's kind of that three-step process, build the trust, establish the, uh, the encouragement of, of failure and challenge, and then actually carry that out on a workout-to-workout basis through your body language, through your actual um, verbal language as well. So that's kind of how I've been able to build that psychological safety. Still a work in progress. I'm still getting better at it, uh, but you know, have seen some pretty decent results in the past few months with that. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, a big takeaway is obviously those three steps that you just mentioned, but like the relationships that you build with them beforehand. Um, yeah. Before, because like you said, you, you'll mess around with them as this like big brother kind of persona. But yeah. before so, you create a relationship. You're not just going to mess, mess right, around with exactly. them after they fail. Um, right. But yeah, I, I really... I really envy the way that you're able to create a culture and community within your gym because all the videos and everything that you post, you can just tell like after they mess up, they're all laughing. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. this is natural. This is normal. Like we're getting right. better because next rep I'm going to dunk on you or like something like, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it, they're not even exactly. thinking about that last rep, which is huge. So that's, right. that's big props to you. And I also think we don't have to get down this rabbit hole, but I also think it has a lot to do with your brand. And that's a unique yeah. factor within today's society is like, I'm trying to build my brand right now. So if I get a new client or a new player, or whatever, and they come to see me, like they can look through my Instagram and be like, okay, this guy actually does this stuff. He does his research. You know what I mean? So they already have this level of respect coming into their, coming into your gym or coming to work out with me. You know what I mean? So I think right. that, that definitely plays a role in it as well. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think another thing I just thought about, which honestly may be the opposite of that, not the opposite, but somewhat, you know, distant from that is vulnerability for sure where i'll do a uh, a rep to demonstrate and i'll make it like od challenging on myself so i mess up and like they they don't know this and hopefully they don't watch this but like sometimes i'll literally mess up on purpose just because that's the crazy motherfucker that i am so that they will understand like and then and then i'll react the right way 
um, or the, I'll model the way that I want them to react when they mess up. Yeah. Um, and then same thing where it's like, if I, if I'm trying a new drill and it's terrible, I'll tell them, I'll be like, yo, that drill's awful. Like that's completely on me. Let's move on from that. And just setting the, the standard for accountability and, and vulnerability is, has been huge. Um, I've worked with some coaches in the last few years who have kind of showed me the opposite of that, where everything's, you know, they're perfect. Everything's on the players. And these are more like high school coaches that I've been around. Um, and that showed me like, I never want to be the guy who's the perfect model and all the players are the ones who are failing. Like I'll tell them about stuff that I mess up in my life. I'll tell them, I'll give them the whole transparency because I always want to be the one who's setting the model for imperfection, but working through imperfection to find uh, ultimately a learning experience. So vulnerability, I would say, has also been a, a, an absolutely just immense part of building that culture. Absolutely. And I, I that's probably one of the biggest things, a, a part of that entire process. And the last thing that I'll add to that, too, is like, like I said, I've, I've been re recently working with a school that I went to and I've been training guys all throughout winter break. And the first thing that I said to them, I was like, guys, listen, you're, you're going to fuck up a lot. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, it may not be what you're used to, but there's a reason why I put you guys in these situations and you're going to see some results after, if you continue to be consistent with it. So it's like preparing them mentally yeah. also before that could have some sort of value. Right. For sure. And some of them won't like it, <clears throat> but you're going to lose some soldiers along the way. That's fine. Absolutely. But all right, to kind of in the same realm, obviously, but a little, little different now. Um, I know you get a lot of shit for the way that you warm up your athletes. Uh, yeah. So if you want to talk a little bit about your warmups, uh, why you think a warmup or Mike G's terms, prime time is so important. Oh, yeah. And um, not even from like your ramp, like raise, activate, mobilize, potentiate perspective, but also from yeah. like a holistic approach. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out Mike G for the for the prime time, uh, and, and we're, I was talking about this to him the other day. I was like, dude, like you're making waves in the uh, not only performance training but skills training community. I think we're all starting to see that. So shout Hell out to yeah. him for that. Um, no, I mean I think a lot of what I do is to engage and create a fun environment with athletes while we're raising their body temperature simple as that like his big thing at his pdc talk was like yes we can jog up and down the court and, and you know raise our core temperature you know uh increase our heart rate all the physiological responses that come along with that or we can play a game like spike ball or tag or something and also start to release these neurotransmitters, dopamine, oxytocin, all these things that come along with number one being social, but number one having some level of challenge or engagement. Um, one of those seems like the right option to me or the, the, the easy choice for me. Um, and it's just, you're starting to stimulate the nervous system, not only the uh, physiological responses and overall just more fun. Hoopers are always training they're always doing monotonous stuff whether it's practice whether you know everything that goes into it is extremely monotonous um at the end of the day over the course of years i don't want to be the the gym where they come in and 
it's still monotonous. Um, so my shift in the last couple years to more uh, engaging warm-ups has only made sense to me. We'll still do our, our movement prep. We'll still do the standard uh, activation, mobility, you know, all the stuff that goes into your like ramp warm-up style. Um, but the, the, the temperature, the raising of, you know, core temperature, the muscle temperature, lubricating the joints, why not kill two birds with one stone and let them have, or many birds with one stone, let them have fun, let them get engaged, let them release some dopamine, which sets the stage for learning. Um, seems like a no brainer to me and ultimately people hit on it, but I really don't care because if you ask any of the guys that come in my gym, they're high level players. I had, there was a comment the other day on one of the TikTok videos where it was like high level players would never want to do this. Um, and then in the video, there were two D1 guys, uh, prep school guy, two D2 guys, and then a kid who was probably going to go D1 or D2. So I was like, uh, I don't know. And then I, I also put up a video of Mike G having them on sand on like a mini hoop, just dunking and stuff. Like, and it was Drew Holiday. It was Mike James. It was, you know, Anthony Davis. And I'm like, yeah, high-level players don't want to do any of this stuff, bro. So I think once people get past the, like the, the – uh, facade of being too cool for school they'll uh they'll start to realize it embrace it and have fun with it yeah and it's it's not in like a training setting like obviously but like you'll even see guys like lebron james or steph curry like literally running a football route before the game you know what i mean or like steph curry doing wild shit like that's such a stupid comment to say like high level guys want to do this you're 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 crazy to think that Jason Tatum, Steph Curry, LeBron, whoever, like, yeah. if they were to go into your gym, you're like, yo, we're just playing tag for five minutes. Let's warm. Let's, like, let's get warm. They would no, be out of their minds. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and I think it's, as a coach or as a trainer, it takes some balls to do it. But because you're like, all right, what if these guys don't like it? 99% of the time, they're going to have so much fun with it. And as a result, the training session is going to be so much more engaged. Um, and that's part of building the culture too. Like they do. And I talked to Mike about this and he was like, the number one thing is having the trust with the athletes that you're not just doing some stupid shit, that you're actually doing this for a reason. And when they trust that everything you do is for a reason, that's when they're going to enjoy everything. You could throw them in a ocean with a pool noodle and, and they'll do it because it's like, they trust that everything you do is going to be, beneficial in some way so i think it again comes back to that uh psychological safety idea for sure it all it all works together like you've been saying that's kind of like the theme of this entire episode and yeah i think the only the only thing that i can see realistically that's like why maybe older era coaches or just people who don't want to open up their minds to these kind of concepts like the only thing that would genuinely make sense to me like their argument was would be like, okay, they're, they're smiling and they're laughing too much. So like, maybe they're not going to be engaged for the workout. So what would you say to somebody who had that kind of comment? I think that's my, my next big uh, frontier that I want to tackle or one of them is like the fact that, that fun and engagement and learning don't have to be mutually exclusive. In fact, they actually go together. Um, we can look at it from a scientific standpoint where, 
the neurotransmitters that we release when we're having fun, when we're enjoying something, are uh, very, very conducive to learning. Or we can just look at it from a practical standpoint where if you enjoy doing something, number one, you're probably going to do it more. Um, number two, you're probably going to go harder. And number three, you know, it's, it's, it becomes a very, uh, the environment becomes much more, uh, conducive to learning ultimately. So it's like, it, to me, fun, maybe not even fun, but engagement, um, under which umbrella fun goes, uh, that sets the stage for learning to me rather than, uh, but, I, but again, I do, I do see where this is coming from. Cause when you look at like the, the standard idea of, um, training, you know, learning a lot of it, like teachers don't want their kids, you know, effing around in the, in the classroom. And, and that makes sense. But I do think if kids were having, some sort of fun or engagement as they're learning, it would be a lot better. And the whole thing is like, and this can go for a lot of things that I do. It's like, all right, well, uh, you know, traditionally we don't do this and it's worked for X amount of years. It's like, well, are we leaving anything on the table? Yes, it's worked, but can something work even better? Um, so I think it's like, yeah, maybe you've taught, you've won some games or you've train some athletes in a very serious environment maybe maybe you haven't maxed out yet like is that your potential have you is what you're doing right now your potential or can you grow from there um so that's why it's like the whole like oh it's worked for years and years and years is always a little bit weak of an argument to me because it's like maybe it can work even better um maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't but i think it's at least worth a shot especially when the science and the the practicality behind it makes sense yeah and like like you said like from a scientific perspective and from like a strength coach perspective you're getting all the same benefits as a regular dynamic warm-up literally yeah, the only exactly. thing that's different is i mean a lot of things different i shouldn't say the only thing but the only visible difference is that they're smiling right you know what i mean yeah, so it's exactly. like to me that's a like shit that's a big difference maybe i want oh, them yeah. to be happy but we we could talk on and on about this so um oh, yeah we I'll get into the next one to kind of go from like warm up now full circle. What is like a typical session look like with you? And that's both performance and on court. Uh, all right. So I won't go on for hours about this. The performance will typically be prime time. Like we just talked about again, shout out Mike G. Um, then some movement prep. So getting them warm with something that's perceptually inviting or, uh, fun, <laughs> And this can be tagged, this can be playing. Uh, I've literally had them play soccer, football, volleyball, tennis, with basketballs. This can be like a ton of things. Again, I won't go on all day about this. Um, so that, then we'll get into some standard movement prep, which will be like a, typically a circuit because I'm, I'm usually working in smaller groups. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make I'll make your life a little easier because that was a very broad question. So you so you got so everything you just said, and then just a lower yeah. body focus for performance, and then say like okay, cool. a, a finishing workout for encore yeah. stuff. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's good because that's typically I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday with with my guys, um, and I tell them 
we're going to do mostly lower body stuff. If you want to come in Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday and do upper body, I'll write up a workout for you, but I'm not going to spend my time going to, and, and again, we will integrate the full body into stuff. Yep. Um, but if they want to do bicep curls and stuff like that, amazing, but they can do that on their own. Yep. Um, so that, that's the kind of direction I was going with anyways, which is good. Um, so then, yeah, I'll do like typical movement prep. Um, so something to kind of wake up our, uh, proprioceptor, something to kind of wake up the stretch shortening cycle, especially in the ankle. So that'd be more of like an extensive plyo type situation. Um, and then depending on the day, some type of mobility or full range of motion exercise to kind of bring them through that full range and prepare them. Then we'll go do some, uh, just kind of what I call like neural activation. So moving faster, this can be kind of our gateway into the power work. Um, this can be moving from extensive plyos into more intensive plyos um, or something that's actually like, so the first circuit was kind of like, all right, we're getting into it. The second was like, all right, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're fully into this workout. Then we'll go with either just some traditional power work, which is typically a little bit, that's where I'll go with like the, uh, intentional currency work so like it'll be reactive they'll be maybe going with like a a granny toss with a uh with a dynamax ball but they'll have to throw it one way or the other depending on where i point so just being creative with our power work then depending on the you know the time of year uh some bigger strength work uh squat deadlift whatever or not um and then that's when i just kind of transfer that or uh or translate that into just uh just structural stuff like i talked about earlier so just kind of targeting the structure not much neural engagement but uh getting the stimulus that they need from a mechanical sense uh then i've been doing a lot of just uh body weight iso hold finishers love it um then they will step right onto the court after about five minutes. And that's what I love about the gym is that we have the weight room in the court and most guys come for the performance and then the skills as well. They're already warmed up. So most times we jump straight into it. Um, not all the way into it, but we'll go um, with a somewhat less intense version of what we're going to do. But I'll always ask them at the beginning, give me three things that you want to work on. Yeah. Um, those guys will list off three things. Sometimes I'll have something in mind that, uh, I want to work on with them. Most times I just listen to them. So let's say they say, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of finishing ones, finishing with contact floaters and finishing with the offhand three finishing ones, uh, to, to take that challenge on. So then each one I'll, I'll devote more or less 20 minutes to because we have 60 minutes, we have an hour. Sometimes we'll do one for five minutes and then move on to another for 40 minutes. really just depends. But um, typically what I'll do is like a play, drill, play model where we'll play out of it in like a lighter sense. So I'll say finishing with contact. Then it'll that will be the first drill will be like a one-step finish in, into uh, our contact into a finish. Um, so that'll be kind of a lighter version of that. Then we'll drill it. So we'll do something constraint based or, uh, getting them comfortable with it. And then we'll play it pretty much fully live. So we're starting with like a lighter version of the play. They're starting to get the context. They're starting to see why we need to drill it. Then we'll do 
some drills, which most of the time are actually live or reactive anyways, um, in group workouts. And then we'll just play fully live out of it. So they'll maybe start at the three point line and, and finish with contact. Or I'll say, if you create the contact, you get three points. If you don't, you get one. So that's kind of how I do each of those compartments. I'm not going to go through all of those, but, um, so on the court, it's, it's mainly like a play drill play, um, or just play, play, play where everything's live. But I do think since these guys are in there and, um, they can go and get shots and get reps by themselves. But if I have a group workout going, then that's their time to get the live, uh, games approach style of, uh, of play in there. So that's typically how a, a typical two hour workout with me will go. Oh yeah, I like it. And for anybody listening that is one of those haters talking about warmups, just realize he does a whole hour of performance beforehand. So yeah. he's making sure everything is yeah. uh, checked off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but all right, um, that was kind of the meat and potatoes of my questions. I want to be obviously courteous of your time. Do you have time to do like a speed run real quick? Let's do it. All right, bet. Let's do it. All right, so I got six questions for you. Um, Take as, as long or as quick as you want. We'll answer quick, and then if you want to elaborate, obviously take your bet. time. I'm so, going to try to do all of them quickly just because I, I talk way too much. So. All right, bet. All right, so first one, a player just isn't physically capable of anything, really. Weak, no speed, uncoordinated, etc. You have a year to change that. Do you get them in the weight room, or do you have them cross-train, and I mean like using other sports as a stimulus? Cross-train. Yep. Because everything that they all, they're getting more movement patterns, exposed to more movement patterns than they would just in the weight room. So everything after that becomes a little bit easier because they've been exposed to so many different movement patterns over the course of that first year. I like that. All right. On two, you want to get super bouncy, like Derek Jones Jr. type. Bouncy. Uh, what three exercises do you pick? Uh, number one is choosing the right parents. Number two is uh, doing. No, I'm playing. Um, <laughs> sprint, jump, hoop. Solid. Do your research. Do do your research. Yeah. Why 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 do those three make sense? Go do some research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go on for days about those, but sprint, jump, hoop. All right, three, if you weren't a trainer or a hooper, what other profession would you pick at this point in your life? Uh, probably a, a music producer. Yeah? Yeah, probably a music producer. All right, that's cool. Oh, that's that's like, that's my uh, that's my next skill that I got to learn. I got to learn how to make some fire-ass beats. I like that, bro. I, I actually got a question for you. With this, that can be off air, but all right. Uh, so four... <laughs> Um, would you rather have a hyper flexible athlete or would you rather have a super tight athlete? Uh, super tight. Those are typically more athletic, hyper flexible. We won't get injured, but to what extent we'll probably be at a lesser, uh, <laughs> a lesser, uh, what would you call it? Level of play. So most of, most of my best athletes can't get anywhere near touching their toes. Yeah. So, yeah, hyper, hyper, super tight. Yeah. All right. I like that. And usually they're tight for a reason, and that's why they're so athletic. Yep. Um, all right, five. What is the biggest piece of advice you'd give to yourself from five years ago? So 18-year-old Cole, what, what would you tell him? 
I'll say that too. Number one, as you develop, be more confident. That's something that like I'm starting to learn now. Is like I always err, err, uh, lean towards the side of like hyper humility, where it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like, but I do think I'm starting to learn now. It's like, all right, well, I've done. I'm still very young. Like, here I go again. But like, I'm, 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 I'm. Still young, but I have done research and, and gotten results to the point where it's like I can be a little bit confident with it. And then number two, it's just like enjoy your get out more and, and meet more people. I think I'm starting to realize like relationships is the number one or are the number one key to success in pretty much anything but business. And I was that hermit kid for a while that just stayed in Saturday nights and really always and just kind of, and that definitely helped me set the foundation for what I'm doing now. But also now I'm starting to realize like the more people you meet, the more you get out and kind of and network and, and uh, build relationships, the more resources you'll have and the more you'll learn ultimately because you can really pick from people's brains. So those are two things that I would say. For sure. I like that. Um, I might have to take that advice myself because I'm. Oh yeah. I definitely. No, I'm uh, still that way, bro. Nah, I know, but <clears throat> my girlfriend can attest for sure. She she always asked me to go <laughs> out, and I. Uh, it's it's a hassle to get me out, but I I definitely yeah, gotta bro. I gotta take some time to enjoy myself too. Not for sure. Um. Last one. I I just added this one. What is because you you've done a little bit of traveling. Um. What what do you yeah. think the coolest spot you've been to right now in the world? Uh, probably Mexico. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, fingers crossed, if COVID doesn't mess stuff up this year, I will be going to, I don't want to say some cooler spots because I love Mexico and all my guys over there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't disclose any of that because I'm a jinx it. But yeah, as of now, Mexico is just like people have the wrong view of it or Americans do have yep completely distorted view of what mexico is it's one of the most beautiful places and cultures i've or the, probably the most that i've ever been to so really dope uh hoop scene was great camp went amazing um so that was probably the best trip i've been on cool i like to hear that um and then last one not not necessarily a speed round question just like to top everything off what is next for coleman airs uh what's coming up and plug away to everything that you got going on yeah, so I'd say um, number one is taking the virtual academy uh, to the next level. So we're going to have an app and then like four or five programs coming out, finally putting a strength program out. Number two, uh, really starting to travel a little bit more, um, but balancing that with being at the gym and having some pretty high-level guys in the gym. Um, and then number three is, is hopefully uh, putting out a pretty – pretty good book we'll see that's uh something i've been working on a lot recently so uh that should be good sometime this year but yeah that'd be dope to uh that will be dope to have a a book out that you can actually kind of hold and and uh be like damn i i wrote this thing so we'll see how that comes along could end up completely scrapping it just because i'm that's the type of guy i am but uh i think we should be good that'll be uh that'll be out so those are three big focuses of this of this coming year 
Hell yeah. And like you said, bro, you will get that shit out. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? I will, don't I don't even doubt yourself because uh, I... That's, there goes the, uh, the, the ultra humi- uh, humility again. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, borderline, borderline yeah. self-deprecating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, bro. Nah, but um, for real, man, I I appreciate you taking out your time, um, taking some time Absolutely. out of your day to to get on this call. All right, it really does mean a lot, especially because like I'm just I'm trying to grow this podcast now, and I think um, you know, hopefully this episode can kind of get a little bit more exposure. Um, oh, I yeah. think a lot of people sure. that listen to this will will take a lot out of this, and um, for anybody listening uh coleman we already mentioned it follow him on instagram at by any means basketball um him and tyler leclaire have a great program with um or great platform with mastery hoops uh it's a dollar a day thirty dollars a month it's you really can't beat the price for it they have a coaching module uh coaching platform player platform with modules in both um you can learn a lot from that stuff they have conferences going on next one should be in la right Yes, sir. Yep. Working on that now. So he, they they got a lot of stuff going on. Um, tap in with them. Uh, tap in with Coleman specifically. And again, Coleman, I really appreciate your time, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>